0: Welcome to the Inspired by Adventure podcast, bringing you the adventure across the airwaves. Here's your host, Cole Watkins. All right, welcome everyone to another episode of Inspired by Adventure podcast. My name is Cole Watkins and thank you for joining us today. Today we are lucky to have uh, Scott Johnson with us, who is a photojournalist and has done a lot of great work here, or a lot of great work with Aggressor Adventures. You've seen his photos, I'm sure, in some of our magazines. And uh, yeah, so how are you doing today, Scott? Doing well, thank you for inviting me. Yeah, we're happy to hear your story and uh, how you got into diving and photography and um, how, you, how you got into uh, enjoying the humpback charters uh, that we do in the Dominican Republic. In, the, the Dominican Republic and uh, we've talked earlier and found that you've been there over eight times, eight or nine times, you couldn't quite remember. That's, a, that's very impressive. Uh, So we just want to hear a little bit about you and um, and talk a little bit about the humpback whales. And also, uh, thank you so much for sending over some of your favorite humpback shots that we'll get to at the end of this call. So if you listeners are listening today on uh, the audio version, we do have the video version that you can find on Facebook and our website and YouTube where you can see some of these uh, photos uh, that you're not going to want to miss. I promise you. I had a hard time cutting them down. (laughs) So, all right, Scott, so why don't we go ahead and jump on into it? Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and where you grew up?
1: I grew up in Upper East Tennessee, near the borders of Tennessee, Virginia, and North Carolina, kind of in the mountains, landlocked away from the ocean. I was raised by blue-collar parents. Uh, Mom was a stay-at-home mom. She had me when she was in her mid-40s. You might say I was was, uh, likely an accident um in in terms of my connectivity to the ocean my parents said it started at a very very young age at age uh, two or three they said anything that was was mentioned about the ocean or or pictures was brought up about the ocean I, I was fascinated if as I grew older uh, anything that came on TV whether it was a Jacques Cousteau special or uh, some type of even news program about the ocean my, my parents said I, I was just glued to the TV screen or the radio broadcast. Uh, my, um, my experiences with photography were, were a little bit different in that I cared nothing about photography when I, I was younger. Ph- photography uh, came to me later on in life and it, it was a way of, of, of coping. It became a tool for me. And, and that was because when I was a junior in high school, I was on a recruiting trip for basketball at the University of South Carolina, and after a a session of practicing practicing with the team, when I was traveling back to where I was staying in Columbia, South Carolina, I had a car wreck, and as a result of the car wreck, I ended up in the hospital, uh, had head trauma, Uh, as part of the head trauma, I lost all of my childhood memories from, let's say, the the start of my freshman year in high school to birth, the memories were just gone. Wow. So uh, I had to kind of relearn uh, about myself. Uh, but when I uh, got back to my, my hometown and went into my room, there were all these books on the ocean and sharks. And, uh, and my, my parents started telling me about my fascination with the ocean and, and marine animals in general. So, kind of fast forward in life, I graduated college. Uh, as soon as I made enough money to afford a scuba certification, I got one. Uh, I was determined to to uh, start diving in the ocean to to be able to see some of the some of the animals that uh, that I had treasured when I was younger. Uh, before that first ocean dive, I bought a Kodak disc camera uh, and a plexiglass housing, and then I proceeded forth to try to capture memories. Uh, but after my first dive and I, ha- I had the uh, film processed and the shots came back terrible. There was no color, uh, they were grainy, they weren't sharp. And I said, that's not what I remember. I remember all these vibrant colors. I remember uh, the excitement. I remember such such highs of emotion. And so photography became my way of trying to capture the essence of my experiences, particularly when, when I was diving. Uh, how I became a photojournalist was uh, another event in my life that came unexpected. It's, it's almost like God laid it in my lap and said, here, here you go. This is something you can't tra- take credit for, but you have this opportunity. And that opportunity in part was birthed when I met Wayne Hassan on a trip to Cocos Island back in the mid-90s. Uh, Wayne, who I think was the original captain of Aggressor Fleet back in the day and was certainly a, a public face for, for the company then. Uh, he saw some of my photography and he encouraged me to pursue it. He said, You know, have you ever thought about doing uh, photography and photojournalism professionally? And I said, No, had, had not thought about it, wasn't even a consideration. Uh, he said, Well, your, your, your photography is good enough that, you know, if you fine tune this, fine tune that. He said, "I think you could really make this work." So, uh, I started uh, listening to Wayne's advice. Uh, he even after the trip, he contacted me and, and we chatted. Got to be really good friends. Uh, and he and Ann Hassan, uh, his wife, they were a, a huge motivational influence on me becoming a photojournalist.
0: Wow, that's very cool. Now, now, how soon did you go and do your first humpback charter?
1: Oh, humpback charters came later on. Uh, I thought wells were neat. Uh, I, I, that neat's probably a dated word, but I, I thought they were they were uh, certainly uh, exciting. But I wanted to see sharks. I wanted to, you know, whether it was uh, sharks underwater or tigers in the jungle, you know, I, I wanted to go see these uh, these uh, species that movies had, you know, had had made so famous from from what Jaws horribly did to sharks. I mean, it certainly uh, sensationalized them, but those movies played uh, a part of me saying, I, you know, I want to go see what, what this is all about. So uh, I went uh, to probably the most distant destinations I, I could get to to start off, and I wanted to see see sharks. Whales were, were not an original component. Uh, whales did not come into play until after I'd already become a photojournalist. Uh, and a magazine a publisher asked, uh, asked me if I would be willing to accept the assignment to the S- Silver Bank to document the humpback whale uh, behavior and experience. Uh, I, I put it off for a while uh, initially because I, I thought it would be boring. I said, I'm a diver. I'm not a snorkeler. And that's, that's what humpback Uh, the humpback encounters are, it's it's snorkeling. And I thought, you know, I don't want to be bobbing around on the surface with the animals below me. You know, that's, that's not going to be a thrilling experience. I like being, I like being part of the scene. I like uh, mixing closely with the animals. I I just, I don't want to be looking from the 5,000 foot view, but uh, finally, uh, primarily for monetary reasons, I, I accepted the assignment. I went down uh, and with, with, uh, within probably three or four hours of my initial day on that very first, first charter, I was in tears wow. uh, because of, uh, of being in the water with whales and, and the behavior and, and the connectivity. Uh, and it, it truly changed my, to one of the, another one of those transcendent moments in my life that changed my perspective and said, hey, Stop being ignorant. Uh, see the beauty in front of you.
0: Wow. Wow. Uh, before we dive in and learn a lot more about the, the whales, uh, I would like to hear your first... Do you, do you happen to remember the first time you actually got a photo, uh, an article put in a magazine and what that was like?
1: Oh, uh, well, I, I, I can't remember the... Well, I can too. I can't the, the first article uh, that, uh, was published, was published back in skin diver magazine. Okay. I don't remember what year, uh, but I remember it was in skin diver and I was very impressed when it came out that somebody thought enough of my work to to publish it and share it with people. I was even more impressed by the check that came afterwards because it said, Hey, you get to go do what you enjoy doing and you can make money. I, I was in I, I was in a corporate environment unrelated to diving, unrelated to wildlife. Um, so I thought, if I can make enough money doing what I enjoy doing, at some point in my life, maybe I can back away from the corporate world and and transition into doing this full time. But but at first, it was almost like a game. Uh, it was okay. I got into one publication can I get into other publications? And can I, can I uh, broaden the topics that I write about? So that game became, you know, I I took what I knew of the corporate world in terms of developing relationships, partnerships, sponsorships. And I uh, mixed that in with what I was learning about photojournalism. And I found out that I could, I could be successful at it. So uh, from that early First article in in Skin Diver, uh, I've been published in Maxim, uh, all kinds of research journals, been published in uh, China, Russia, Europe, North America, South America, uh, but it all started out kind of as this um, interesting game, this interesting project that, that ended up being a career. That's so
0: cool. Um, I'm, I'm trying to uh, picture you. How old do you think you were when that first article got published?
1: Gosh, uh, it it is still as a result of uh, that accident I had when I was younger, it's, it's tougher for me to look back in my life. I'm very much a current day thinker and maybe a little bit forward thinker. I have to keep notes on just about everything I do, especially the destinations we go, uh, so that when I'm writing articles, I can get back into the emotion, back into that experience to write about it. So excuse me if I pause, um, I would say that uh, that first article was probably late twenties, okay. when it when it was first published.
0: Yeah, i imagine you as a as a, a kid in the late twenties, just I could see you at the court at your desk at your corporate job, just jumping up and down, seeing that article, you know, just thinking, "Wow, I made money off this," you know.
1: <laughs> it, it was a game at at first. It was it was a game because again, my uh, I didn't want to. Prove to people that I was a good photographer. I was just glad to be capturing uh, the the uh, memories. You know, I, I wanted to hold on to those memories. I didn't want them to be taken away from me again. And then I found out there was more value than just capturing memories. You could actually share those memories with other people. So talk
0: about your win-win situation, huh?
1: <laughs> yeah, it was. It, it was and has been a win-win situation.
0: Very cool. All right. Well, let's 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 talk about some more. So you said after your first. Uh, day in uh, Dominican doing the studying on the whales you were you have been brought to tears but just the the sheer uh connection you had with the whales so tell us a little bit about the humpback whales and a little bit about the charters that uh that that we do here at Aggressor and what and what you think of them as someone who's not technically a employee well
1: uh the the humpback whale encounters are are well, there are many things. They're multifaceted. I mean, and each each charter each year has been different and is different. Uh, uh, some some years um, the the charters that we have are focused on, let's say, moms and calves uh, and experiencing them because there's so many moms and calves in Silver Bank at that time. Sometimes it's it's all about the 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 adults that are kind of looking for love that just that just provides so much dynamic action above the water, uh, that kind of uh, steals the scene, so to speak. Sometimes it's about males that stay close to the to the to the yacht and sing, uh, so much so that they wake guests up at night. I mean, it, there's just so many things that happen. One thing I would I would tell people first of all is that you you can hundred percent guaranteed to see whales. Outside of that. Each year is different. Each each season is different. But the charters, uh, I would I would rather go on a humpback charter than just about any other kind of uh, animal experience uh, that I would be offered. Wow!
0: Even even though you've already done it eight or nine times, you still read, you still would take it back. It's that special.
1: If I could, I would spend the entire three month season at Silver Bank. I really would. I, I, I enjoy the well so much, uh, not just uh, from a photography standpoint, but just from a, a connectivity standpoint. Uh, one of the things I enjoy so much about the well experience at Silver Bank is it's about life. There's no predation there whatsoever. It's all about life. I mean, anyone that has worked around wildlife, wildlife or is in some type of wildlife field. Uh, If they're being honest with you, they'll tell you it is 50% beauty and 50% brutal because no matter if you're looking at trees in a jungle or you're looking at an enemy fish in the sea, every life form is competing with other life forms for life. I mean, there's always this competition going on in nature and it's absolutely brutal. It can be beautiful, but it's also brutal and it doesn't escape my thoughts, doesn't matter whether I'm in a, in a jungle or a savanna or in the ocean, but when you're with humpbacks, there, there's, there's really no feeding going on except the moms feeding the calves. The whales do not eat when they're in Silver Bank. That's not their focus. They don't eat, uh, and, uh, Silver Bank is almost devoid of non-mammalian life. There's, uh, for, for as, um, far back as, as scientists go in recorded history, there's never been very much life in silver Bank. So there's not hardly any predators. So when you're there with the whales, you're gonna see whales. You won't see much else, but you're gonna see whales and it's all about life. It's not about predation or death. And I just absolutely love that. That's become more precious to me, uh, especially with all the environmental concerns around the world with, us, uh, with the loss of habitats around the world. That, that you can spend time with whales and it's so centered on life. It's just refreshing, it's truly refreshing. Can you tell our viewers who are
0: listening today that don't know exactly why the humpbacks are down there in the Silver Bank from January to April?
1: There, there are approximately 11 different communities of humpbacks around the world, I believe. I think that's probably the current estimate. Uh, The humpbacks that spend time in Silver Bank are referred to as North Atlantic humpbacks. They travel from um, their feeding grounds up uh, in the north. Uh, They come south to Silver Bank for a couple of different reasons. One of them is so that mothers can give birth to calves in a relatively uh, safe environment. Silver bank, I think the average depth is only 60 to 100 feet. There are coral heads that uh, clear the surface of the water depending upon the tides. So the mothers can come in, bring their newly born calves snug up against the coral heads, and they can be relatively protected. There's no predators, and and as long as they stay out of the way of the spring breaker whales, uh, they're, they're safe, so it's a safe environment for them. The other reason besides the silver bait being a nursery is that it is probably the largest spring break party for whales in the world. Uh, the, there's uh, females that have had uh, calves in the past that are looking for a new mate. There are females that have just been become sexually active that are looking for their, their first experience so they they head south for the spring break party in in Silver Bank, and then you've got all these males that just become saturated with testosterone to prove themselves to the ladies, and it, it is uh, one of those uh, it's it's one of those uh, things that that you can relate to. If if you're with a mom and a calf, it is so easy to relate to the the human experience to. the the humpback experience because you can see if you're in the water with a a a mom and she is a first-time mom she is so protective typically of that calf just like a human mom would be she doesn't want you to come near her precious little calf she doesn't she doesn't trust you to babysit however if you find a mom that's had uh, one or more calves in the past she may say, "Oh wow, babysitters! That's great. I can take an extra nap. You know, it, it can be uh, a more relaxing experience." Same thing with the kids. So these calves, some of them you see, they're terrified the first time that they see a human or a snorkeler. They may, uh, they may go hide underneath mom. Mom will say, "Hey, my little kid is scared," and, and she'll take off and leave. However, you've got some other calves that just uh, by the nature of the way they were born, their DNA, they're rambunctious. And they're like, mom, hey, look at these snorkelers, new toys. I want to go play with them. So you can kind of relate to that behavior between the moms and the calves and how they relate to other mammals. Well, it's the same thing with these uh, these ladies that are looking for a new date and these guys that are wanting to impress the ladies. It's it's like if you were to go to a bar and you'd see guys Flexing their pecs and you know trying to show off to 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 impress a potential uh, uh, dating partner—you can just so relate to that. It's it's just this competition that uh, that is part of the dating scene. How do they know
0: to get back to the silver bank? Like, how do they know it's time to go there? How do they make sure they're getting there from their their different areas that they're coming from?
1: Uh, no one's really sure. I say no one. The scientific community is not really sure. Pretty much. <laughs> I would say most of the questions that you ask about humpbacks, I can give you theories, I can give you suggestions, but so much is unknown. Unknown being that it's unproven. Why do whales sing? Why do why do whales go to certain areas at specific times? The scientific community simply doesn't know. There's theories. Um, but
0: is there the- is there a theory that there's songs? Because I heard I did I learned this that their songs do change every year. There's there's parts of their song that get added to the current song. Is that right? And I was wondering, in your mind, do you think that that could have something to do with how they're getting back to the silver bank? I I, I
1: don't, I don't know that either, because if, if you, um, if you do an internet search on humpback songs, you'll find out there are a, a wide range of theories as to why they sing scientists don't even know specifically why they sing. Some, some, it's almost uh, the same as why they breached. Why do they breach? The, do they do it for a specific purpose? Do they do it because they can? Do some uh, humpbacks sing because they can? Do they do it to uh, attract a, a mate? Do they do it to, to be a part of a, uh, a larger community? Those, those songs differ by population of humpbacks, but within that population, they change from year to year in in the same way. So that if you hear a song from one whale, it's gonna be the exact same or very similar to the song of of that uh, uh, humpback in that same population. So there's a dynamic relationship to singing and humpbacks, but we don't know exactly why that song started or how it, uh, imp- uh impacts the whales within that population
0: i see i see and uh you know when i was going through your photos earlier i was I, there's a lot of topside and a lot of uh uh in water snorkeling
1: encounters do you have a preference of which one you're shooting by the by the nature of who i am i would prefer to be in the water uh near the animal feeling what that animal, uh, you know, try to feel what that animal's feeling or uh, try to understand the behavior better. With humpbacks, their lives take place and unfold both above the water and below the water. I, I have been in the water when a, when a humpback well breaches, and that's a totally different experience than seeing a humpback breach from a tender or from, from the yacht. Uh, it's a more beautiful experience. If you see it above water, if you're in the water, it's almost like a bomb going off. So, um, I would say that uh, it's uh, there's there's a slight uh, preference for me to be able to experience them in the water, but there there are some days that the the, the activity above the water is so good with all the activity of uh, the action of uh, breaching or pet slap peck slapping or tail lobbing that you just you just choose to concentrate on the the topside activity.
0: Interesting. Uh, Is there anything else you want to talk about before we start? Before I share my screen, we start going through some of these photos. I have some questions down here prepared that I want to talk to you about, but it'd be better to talk about when we're going over the photos. Is there anything else you just want to say about, about the the trip? Tell tell us about the aggressor aspect of the trip, if you're, if you're,
1: well, all of our trips have been via the Turks and Caicos Aggressor. Uh, Turks and Caicos Aggressor operates out of Porta Plata, Dominican Republic during humpback season. Humpback season uh, typically lasts from January through April each year. That's when the majority of the humpbacks will be in Silver Bank. Uh, the, the sanctuary that protects the humpbacks while they're in Dominican Republic extends beyond the Silver Bank goes to Navidad Bank and, and others. However, the only opportunity for uh, humans to legally be able to get in the water with, with the humpbacks is at Silver Bank. That so there, uh, there are three licenses, I believe only three licenses that will allow people to uh, go on a charter with a company, go to Silver Bank. All of our charters have been with Aggressor Fleet. So I, I can pretty much only speak to the Aggressor Fleet or aggressive ventures point of view. Uh, you go into, uh, fly into Porta Plata, uh, you're, you're welcomed onto the yacht, uh, that night you leave for Silver Bank just as you're, you're about to go to sleep, and you wake up the next morning in Silver Bank surrounded by humpback whales. I mean, it's, uh, it's just a, it's just a, it's almost like a dream come true. You wake up and their whales are everywhere. So uh, uh, during a, a charter, as soon as, as soon as you arrive in Silver Bank, it's, it's whales uh, throughout the day and then just sharing experiences at night. Uh, you are uh, given two uh, tender rides during a day, one in the morning, one in the afternoon, and it's just focused on whatever the whales bring you. Because the one thing that is uh, clear you know, after you spend a little bit of time with whales, that the whales dictate all encounters. They, you can't outswim a whale, you can't outthink a whale, you can't trick a whale. All you can do is, if you don't uh, act properly around whales, you can offend them and they'll leave. That's that's basically it. So the whales dictate all the encounters. They dictate whether your activities are going to be above the water or in the water, and then uh, the crew being able to interpret the humpback's uh, mood, Um, it it, it impacts tremendously on the experience that each guest has or the group has. Uh, The the people that we've had, uh, the crew members that we've had on our charters have been invaluable in maximizing our time with the whales and and helping us understand uh, what's, what's happening, what's taking place, what we're witnessing. And uh, why we did get in the water on one situation, why we didn't get in the water on another situation, uh, the, the crew has, uh, has been invaluable in, in kind of teaching people. And one thing about these trips, and uh, Lauren and I have taken family members, friends, uh, divers, non-divers, is we want to create well ambassadors. And I think that's, that's the, the objective besides the crew wanting to keep the guests safe. Wanting to to help the 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 guests have uh, an enjoyable time, they want to create well ambassadors because these these wells are a very precious um, treasure for, for for the world. So we we talked a little bit about
0: the uh, the females. Uh, I'm sorry, the, the the new moms and how protective they are with the calves. Um, tell us a little bit about the males that are coming down there. You you talked about them. Showing off a little bit, just kind of like you you might see a, a guy do that at a bar to, to uh, to pick up some girls. But uh, what what is their um, activity like? Um, I think you might have even used the word rowdy. What, what can you tell us about that?
1: Well, the the Wells I, I won't typecast them in saying that they have a specific type of behavior. They have varied behaviors from individual to individual. Some of them seem very laid back. Uh, some of them uh, seem like they've had too much caffeine. I, I don't know. I don't know how to s- say it other way, except to express it in human terms. Uh, I, I, besides the humpbacks dictating the encounters, when you're working around whales or wanting to uh, enjoy experiences with whales, uh, you have to learn about the whale's breath cycles because you have these animals that are on the surface. You can see them on the surface and then they disappear and they can pop up Uh, behind you, beside you, or you may never see them again because they've swam and left the area. But uh, a typical adult humpback will stay underwater an average of 18 to 20 minutes on a single breath. They can can certainly stay down longer than 20 minutes, but let's say on average, they're going to stay down somewhere between 18 to 20 minutes on a single breath. So if you're watching humpbacks, you may have an 18 to 20 minute wait before you see them pop up again. If they are uh, two, one or two humpbacks that are simply coming up for a breath of air and then going down to take a snooze, they may take a breath, two or three breaths, go down. You don't see them for 20 minutes, they pop up. They're in about the same spot. They're just uh, taking a nap when they go down. If you see a mom and a calf, you know the mom, same thing. She can stay down or she may stay down 18 to 20 minutes on that single breath. The calf, though, will have to come up about every two to five minutes, depending upon how old that calf is, the development of that calf. Okay. So that if you're with a mom and a calf, it's so much easier to track the movements, typically, of the whales because the calf has to keep coming up to the surface. Let's say three to four times more frequently than the mom. Give it away. Go ahead.
0: Yeah, he's giving away their location.
1: <laughs> he's giving away their location. And and I would say that in terms of in-water time, mom and calf encounters are, it's like underwater gold. If you can find an experienced mom, a mom that's comfortable with her child being essentially babysitted by uh, us snorkelers, us human beings, and you find a kid that is somewhat precocious, okay. then you can spend two hours or more with the same mom and calf as they go through the breath cycles and just move a little bit at a time as the mom comes up, the baby comes up. If you find a mom and she wants to go take a nap, she's going to take a breath, go down, the calf will go with her, and then the calf's going to pop back up while the mom's staying in the same place. And the the calf will start uh, swimming in a circle pattern at the surface. If you see this a couple of times, you understand what's going on. And you, and once the guests understand what's going on, you can see everybody smile because it means that this could be a mom and a calf, and it could end up with an in-water encounter. That encounter may be that uh, that you get into the water and, and the, the mom and calf leave because it's a first-time mom, it's a nervous mom, or it's a nervous calf. Or it could mean that you're going to uh, have two hours or more of just in water, pure joy uh, ahead of you. So that that's that's one situation. Uh, if you've got uh, to get back to your point about the adult males, if it's if it's a lone adult male, uh, if it's a if it's a singer, you've got one experience where you may be right above them. You can see them uh, uh, below you, and you can. Hear them singing. I I think I, I hear it more with my heart than I do with my ears. Uh, it's it's such a it's such an emotional thing. I, I have um, I, I again we've had family and friends that have been fortunate enough to be right above a singer uh, as it sings, and I, I've turned and I've seen tears in their eyes, just like me that first day, just tears in their eyes before because the song. It just it just creates such a or it can create such a well of emotion inside you Um, so that that can be one experience with a male where it's a very sedate uh, yeah it's it's just one experience or you could be with a bunch of males that are simply seem to be intent on causing as much havoc and creating as much uh, chaos on silver bank as possible i mean one of the one of the the biggest uh, jeopardies to your time with a mom and calf. Let's say you found a mom and calf and they're so chilled and you're, you're in the water with them and you're thinking, Oh, wow, I'm going to be with these guys for quite some time. And then along comes seven or eight males, just, just causing uh, chaos and the mom and the calf goes, Oh no, this is not for us. We're leaving. And they just totally blow up your encounter. So there's not not much you can do except get back in the tender and just follow these guys around as they peck slap as they, it's almost like a WWF wrestling match. They sometimes just pound on top of one another. They create bubble streams to confuse one another. Uh, they tell lob. It, it's just a, it's just a rowdy, rowdy, rowdy show. So the, the experience with the males can be very sedate to just like, a like, um, a sporting event. I mean, it, it really can. It's just it's the it's the beauty and the elegance of gymnastics to see them breach, but it's also the power and the collisions of something like football or rugby.
0: Yeah, yeah. And only the males are
1: singers, right? Uh, as far as we know, that's correct. And we don't know if all males sing or if there's just specific males sing. Uh, we don't know that. There are certain areas where the the males that do sing have a higher uh, 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 tendency to sing more at night than they do during the day. Like I mentioned earlier, we've actually had guests wake up in the middle of the night because a whale has decided to park itself right beside the yacht and start singing. And you get that 3 o'clock alarm of whale song, and you're up and going, what is going on?
0: (laughs) He said, "You guys are you guys are uh, disturbing the uh, the female naps. I'm going to disturb your your."
1: <laughs> That's right. Well, um,
0: okay. One other thing that just popped up um, earlier in the call, you talked about the different um, groups. You said there's nine or ten different groups. You guys think uh, about humpback whales around the world?
1: Science scientists, I think the last number I saw was eleven. Eleven, but uh, there are uh, approximately eleven uh, that are spread across the globe.
0: Are they all called the same like area? Like, so we're seeing the North Atlantic humpbacks. What are some of the other groups?
1: Okay. There uh, I, there are three areas that I know of where it is legally possible to get in the water with humpbacks in a, a manner similar to Silver Bank, where you've got a calving ground where mom is coming to give birth to a calf and or to raise a calf. So calving ground. Uh, and also this, what I termed a while back spring bank party for Wales. Uh, one is silver bank. Another one is French Polynesia. That's uh, Tahiti spread out, French Polynesia. And the other one is Tonga, uh, which is, is closer to, uh, Australia and Fiji in that area.
0: Okay,
1: Interesting. All right. Well, do you want to, uh, go into talking talk about some
0: of these photos? Be glad to. Okay. I'm gonna go ahead and share my screen. And I will say, um, I opened up about 100 images from Scott this morning and I had a very hard time narrowing it down to 20 or 30 here. So uh, we got some good images here to, to look at. Um, I was hoping to be able to share my whole screen here. Let's see if I can do it advanced. Hmm. Yeah, let's see how this goes. All right, so tell us a little bit about this image.
1: I'd I be glad to. I, I, I can't tell you what year, what charter that, that the shots were taken, but I can certainly tell you uh, what was going on at this time. The, the well on the right is a mom. She's probably uh, 35 feet long or so. The, the calf is maybe 12 feet long. And this is a situation where my, uh, my group was in the water with this mom and calf, As the mom would go down, take a nap, the calf would, would do the circles or semi-circles and kind of mix with, with the snorkelers. Um, And the mom decided to surface. and, And when she did surface, she started swimming directly towards me. So I have got a series of about, oh, 30, 30 shots where this mom kept swimming towards me and I was swimming backwards as fast as I possibly could I, I wasn't so concerned about her hitting me because uh, from my experiences humpbacks are more aware of uh, of, of their world around them than we humans are and they have more dexterity with their pectoral fins uh, the pectoral fins are the or those white appendages you see on either side of the whale that are a third the body length so if you got a 30 foot, well, each one of those pecs are going to be 10 feet long. Uh, They have more dexterity in those pectoral fins than what we do with our arms. Uh, So I wasn't so much worried that she was going to hit me as I was impossibly disrupting the the behavior, but the mom was so chilled. The calf was so chilled. You can see the little wiggle in the calf over to the left. Very playful. And for whatever reason, she was just determined to come check me out.
0: Wow. So... I'm gonna to pick. To, I'm gonna to have to go to a different share screen because apparently I have all these images open as just different file types. So I'm gonna open. Okay. So we won't go through all twenty of them. But I'm gonna go through. I know I've already got it narrowed down. Um, I wanted to talk to you about this one uh, because the the pattern here, which are the th- the throat uh, grooves, uh, are just so beautiful on the on the underside of a humpback. Can you tell us what those? What's
1: the function of that? Okay. I can tell you, and and this particular shot, I do know when it was taken, because this was taken last year, uh, 2020, uh, when uh, I I spent pretty much most of the month of February uh, in Micronesia and Palau doing uh, Palau Aggressor Charters, Rock Island Aggressor Charters, and came back home during the, the madness of the, the COVID uh, quarantine and, and pandemic. Uh, made it back into the U.S., was home for two weeks. And then my wife and I met a group of people. Uh, we had chartered the entire uh, vessel to go down and, and, and experience the time with the whales. Uh, we knew there was concerns about uh, the global pandemic, but the, the whales were so important to us that we went ahead and made the effort on the trip. So we ended up uh, going to the charter. This image was taken then the Dominican Republic. The president closed the borders. We had to end the charter a day soon, but uh, this this image and the memories of that charter kept us going through what was uh, an extended dry spell for us last year. So I'm sorry for that ex- that that blur, but uh, I do know when this was taken. Uh, the the lines that you see running down the underneath. Uh, side of the whale uh, gives the whale flexibility so that when they open their mouth, when they're feeding uh, in, in the north, their, their jaws uh, and also the, the material underneath the jaws, the skin underneath your jaws can expand greatly so they can take in more water and thus take in more fish. So it is a more efficient way for them to feed.
0: Yeah, and I I think it works a little bit like an accordion would. Is that right? That's correct. That's correct. All right, let's go. Let's move on to a different one here. Let's see what we got. Um, (laughs) yeah, here we go. The breach. Now, do they come full? Do can they come
1: fully out of the water? Uh, this. Uh, I, I, the most that I have ever seen them come out of the water is similar to this. Okay. Uh, I have seen moms and calves breaching at the same time and the calf barely gets out of the water. Okay. I have, I have seen males that uh, all but their flukes come out of the water. Okay. Almost like, uh, like this one, uh, when you do see it again, it's, it's spe- spectacular. And sometimes they will breach uh, close to the yacht. Uh, I, I've got a series of shots from the Turks and Caicos aggressor where a humpback breached beside one of the other yachts and sprayed the, this, uh, the, the port side of the vessel. It was so close. Uh, so sometimes these guys will breach close to, uh, to the yacht. Sometimes they'll they'll breach close to the tenders. Like this was taken, I would say this, this breach was about 25 yards off, off the tender when this was, was taken, a series of shots were taken. And then uh, most frequently you'll see them breach on the horizon. Uh, We call them horizon whales because they breach and you want, you want to go uh, motor there as quickly as possible to see them breach more. And when you get there, they're gone. So, Those are horizon whales, but when you do, when you are fortunate enough to see one up close, it's just such a, it's such a majestic expression of, again, life.
0: When they go up and jump, Scott, are they always going up and then turning a little bit and then splashing on their back?
1: The the, the motions can be different, but again, scientists have shown that they prefer to breach into the wind. So that if you, if you one, one of the ways from photography's perspective, if you've got wells in the area and there seems to be a lot of breaching going on and you, you have wind, then you at least can predict that when they breach, they're going to breach into that direction, that wind direction. And is it because the wind gives them dynamic lift that helps them breach higher or easier? I don't know, but they, they do tend to breach into the wind. Interesting. All
0: right. Um, I, I know which one I will do next is the, let me find it real quick. Okay. yes, yeah, So I, I want to talk about this image too, because this is right by the wreck that's there in the silver, silver bank, the poly the Polyzini is that how you pronounce it. That's correct. Okay. So yeah. Tell us about this shot.
1: This shot, I was actually working with another writer, uh, and, um, We, the, the, this day was shot. What I can't remember the year, but it was taken on Valentine's Day uh, during the charter. So we, we were there mid February. The, the writer that I was working with was writing a story for a magazine. I was providing the imagery and we happened to see a, uh, a young whale that was, uh, seemed to be fascinated with its fluke. It kept sticking its fluke out of the water, slapping it, et cetera. So we followed it around for quite some time. And as it moved and it worked its fluke, it got closer and closer to the wreck. So there was uh, an opportunity at, at, uh, at some point for me to capture a, a, a series of shots of this fluke and the wreck. Uh, the wreck, when I first started going to Silver Bank, the, that wreck was totally out of the water intact yeah. And if you go to Silver Bank now, uh, it may not be visible at all. So we've seen it become a uh, go from a fully intact wreck that was uh, halfway out of the water on the reef to now it's, it's just rusted away. But this was a very special moment for the writer because he was able to include this as part of a Valentine's Day um, theme uh, that he used for the article. Very cool. And you got a bird flying there in the background too. A lot of movies.
0: <laughs> All right. So let's, let's pick out one or two more. Let's see. I wish you could see the ones I'm, I'm looking at here. Um, I'm trying to find some different things to talk about. This one right here, might be a good one to share because you can talk about how close you guys get to get in the water with them.
1: This, this is a prime example of, one, that the whales do dictate the the encounter, and also of the differences between the moms and the calves. If you look at at the bottom right of the image, you can see the mom taking a nap, Uh, and this is the calf that, when coming up to get air, decides to play with the new toys, and that's that's the snorkelers in our group. Uh, When they, uh, one of the rules uh, of humpback whale encounters is that uh, you, you don't try to touch the animals. You don't touch them, but you don't even try to touch the animals. That you don't make uh, excessive amounts of noise. They're considered to be soft in-water encounters. The whales dictate those encounters. You do not make any aggressive motions towards the whales. Uh, you're, you're supposed to be there in a very calm state, enjoying uh, the beauty that unfolds before you. However, Nobody is able to give the whales the same um, um, uh, meeting briefing that says, hey, whales, you can't touch the, the snorkelers. So th- this this calf, uh, in some ways, acted like a bowling ball that just came and scattered the, the snorkelers just like pins on a bowling lane. And it did it uh, repeatedly. So this was just an opportunity. People want to know how close can you get to the whales. This is a calf. This particular calf was probably close to maybe uh, 15 feet long. And it, I mean, you can see the people are trying to get out of the way because this calf is intent on playing. Wow. He actually touched them, or
0: was it just when you say moving them away like bowling pins, just the, the sheer strength he's gotten with the, his fluke. And
1: well, I, I, a, an adult humpback, it, I have no concerns whatsoever as to whether or not they're gonna hit me. If they hit me, they're intending to hit me. I once had a female, uh, a female that goes into a very amorous state is considered to be a Valentine. And when she does that, she'll mimic the behavior of other whales around her. She'll even mimic the behavior of snorkelers that are in the water with her. Well, anyway, one time I had a Valentine that was looking for love uh, come up and knock, uh, my camera out of my hands. So I had to, uh, once I caught my breath, I had to dive down to get my camera as it slowly slunk by the whale's head. Wow. And, and then she, she came up and circled me and it got within just a few feet away. She turned her head so I could see her eye out of the water. And it was almost like she was laughing. She was just in such a giddy mood. Uh, she was she was attempting to flirt. I don't know if she saw her eye on the dome port of my housing, but she decided that she was going to slap this thing that were, that was in my hands. Uh, so if it, I, we have had uh, adult humpbacks come and outline the entire tender, these tenders there is a sunscreen a roof on them to help keep the sun off the tender driver and the guests, yep. and we've had the uh, one of these adult humpbacks come up and outline the tender, including the canopy over top of the console without touching anybody. Wow! There's there's some shots that I sent you where you can see one of the guest ball caps and and the the humpbacks, the pectoral fin is outlining above it. So they are fully developed, very intelligent animals. And if, if you get hit by one, they intended to hit you. A calf on the other hand is just like, almost like a human kid meaning that they're not fully developed. They don't have the control over their pectoral fins or their bodies that the adults do. So there is a chance that if you get a precocious calf, it may bump into you. And that's, that's just the nature of dealing with uh, uh, a young animal. Right. Right. Uh, I was trying to
0: find a good one. I can't quite zoom in when I'm sharing my screen. I was trying to find a good one that showed the, um, the, the bumps that's on the, the, the rostrum. Uh, so the let's, tubercles yeah the, yeah so let's see if I am taking one more look here this one might be good yeah there we go so yeah tell us a little bit about the bumps that are that are there on there
1: those those are called tubercles uh each each bump has a hair inside of it and that hair uh, provides the well with with different information could be the salinity of the water it could be the wind direction when they when they take the rostrum and uh, lift it above the air uh, or above the water surface into the air. So those, those hairs, each individual hair provides the whale with sensory input that taking together gives the whale a more complete picture of the environment. If one of those tubercles gets damaged and they often get damaged when they run into each other, especially the males, when they're doing their macho games, uh, it gets damaged. It's not replaced. Wow. so that's that's just a uh, um, w- one of the the whales uh, uh, systems for gathering input or information I wonder if they all have the same amount uh, that I don't know yeah I want that's
0: uh, hmm I didn't, I didn't real, you know I didn't realize that's what they were I knew it was a hair follicle but I didn't realize it was something that was helping them with sensory that's Yes. very interesting so yeah I wonder if some have more than others and if that, that makes them you know hyper aware compared to others
1: and another thing about that image is that was taken with a 14 millimeter lens and i, I was uh 14 to, to 24 millimeter lens and i was that was taken at 14 millimeters so it was zoomed out all the way and i still couldn't get all of the well in the picture that's how close it was to me at the surface wow all right now scott one one
0: other question I wanted to ask you was, um, do you think this is something that's, uh, you know, is for all ages, you know, since it's not actually diving, you know, because for kids and, 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 and older folks as well, what do, what do you think, think about that?
1: I think, uh, think Aggressor Adventures offers two experiences that are absolutely great introductions to the marine world of marine animals. One, the first one being uh, the humpbacks, the second one being the white sharks off Guadalupe Island. Uh, The reason being is because you don't have to be a diver to be able to to enjoy and share these experiences. Uh, uh, Lauren and I chartered the Turks and Caicos Aggressor for five or six years, not because we wanted to make money from the charters, but because we wanted to share the experiences with family and friends and we wanted to, to share them all together at the same time. Okay. So one of the people that came out with us on the charters didn't even know how to swim. Uh, before the charter, she went and got swimming lessons. She arrived in Silver Bank with some floaties for her arms. And this is a mother of two children. She arrived by herself in Silver Bank with these floaties. Uh, she, uh, we, we provided a wetsuit for her. And then Turks and Caicos Aggressor provided one of the dive guides to essentially help pull her through the water so that she could enjoy the whales. She was so fascinated with the trip, enjoyed it so much that she went back and got more swim lessons, came back the next year on the charter. Then after that charter, she went and got scuba diving lessons. So she went from a non-swimmer to a certified scuba diver in three years because of the humpback whales. Wow. Wow. Uh, we have had uh, guests, family members, and friends in their late 80s that have been within a couple of feet from these wells in the water and just enjoying life. So from, I, don't, I don't know at what age, maybe uh, 11 or 12, I don't know what the approved age is for kids to go out on these charters, but from a uh, very, very young age, preteen until, uh, late age in life, Mm -hmm. Uh, as long as you're physically fit enough, you can get in the water or you can stay in the tender or you can enjoy it. We've even had some guests that for whatever reason, just simply enjoy staying on the yacht, watching the whales from the yacht. Yeah. They may skip a, a morning session or an afternoon session because they just enjoy the experience from the yacht. So, uh, what a tremendous opportunity to be able to share with your kids, Uh, If you've got a non-diving spouse or significant partner, uh, if you've got familial relations or work relationships that uh, you say, hey, we want to do something fun and adventurous, they don't have to be a diver. You can go do this. Uh, And one of the other things that uh, Aggressor Adventures often offers now is uh, the Safari Lodge in Sri Lanka that we absolutely have taken non-divers as part of that trip they've been able to experience the safari lodge with us we go on diving and then they go elsewhere and i know that's not part of silver bank but i think it's it's such a a tremendous uh, opportunity it's such a a wonderful vehicle to be able to take people let them show a healthy wildlife healthy environments and then go out and make them ambassadors especially whale ambassadors
0: that's a great answer it's awesome to hear well, Scott, these, these images are great. Some of the best ones I think I've ever seen. Uh, and um, yeah, I can tell, you can tell how talented you are and how passionate you are about uh, these whales in the Dominican Republic. And I just want to thank you for coming on with us today and and sharing no, some a, of your insight. It's a
1: joy to talk about backs.
0: Yeah, yeah. So maybe we'll have you on some other time and uh, hear a little bit more about um, some of your scuba diving adventures and, uh, and, and get to see some of your images from there. That'd be really interesting.
1: Uh, I'd be an honor. Absolutely. Okay. Well, all right, Scott.
0: Well, uh, that's it. We're going to wrap it up. I want to thank everyone for listening, and um, we'll see you guys next time. Bye, Scott. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning into the Inspired by Adventure podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you haven't already, please subscribe through iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to
1: podcasts. See you next time.